You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 175, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in fun and informative format through expert analysis. Today's expert is Jennifer Zeng. She returns after episode 65, where we talked about what was going on in Hong Kong. And I invited Ms. Zeng on again in order to get a better idea of what's going on in China when it comes to the lockdowns and their policies and the unrest that's going on. There are a lot of mixed reports or, you know, it's, as obviously we know that very little comes out of China that's not controlled in some way by the Chinese Communist Party. And there seem to be protests going on all throughout the country. It's sometimes students. It mostly seems lockdown related due to COVID because China, as far as I'm aware, is one of the few countries in the world, maybe the only country in the world that is still pursuing a zero COVID policy, which we see at this point is hopeless, I guess you'd say, to put uh, bluntly. But Jennifer Zhang comes uh, as an expert in China. She's someone who spent a year in a concentration camp, basically, in China, escaped, got to the United States, and has run a website and an organization called Inconvenient Truths. It's a great YouTube channel that she has, which I'd recommend you check out. It'll be in the links to the show at theparadox.com slash 175. Uh, you can get a better idea what's going on in China. And we just have a long discussion about what's going on, because, you know, is this a large movement, a small movement? Is this something that is going to blossom into something more? Is this something that could bring down the Chinese government? Uh, there are, I think, lots of different possibilities. I mean, obviously, we don't have a crystal ball, so we can't know for sure, but certainly... There's something we should be paying attention to. And I think China is important in this in the whole COVID you know, discussion in the sense that it was the one that developed the lockdown policy. Before, as far as I'm aware, it seems most pandemic sort of related materials and plans in most countries did not include locking down, shutting down economies, preventing people from uh, normal travel to and from work or school, hospitals, etc., and so it was a very unique strategy, one that China has employed throughout. And now you see Chinese citizens who are watching the World Cup, for instance, and seeing millions of people you know, watching, gathering in, in Qatar. No masks, no restrictions, aside they can't drink beer. But, you know, they, it, it is definitely a contrast to what they're living in their lives. And so, you know, you can suppress information for only so long. I mean, I guess you're North Korea, but China is far more globalized and... Uh, internationally 
has much more contact with the West than North Korea. And so it, its ability to lock out images and ideas of what's going on in the rest of the world is a lot more difficult. In fact, I'd probably say it's impossible. So anyway, we talk about that. There's also a strange mishap where Ms. Zhang just disappears on the feed. It's because she lost power in a storm back in New York while we're recording this. So she just kind of disappears, and then she comes back. So that's if you're interested in what's going on. That's what it is. So it kind of ends mid-answer, so I apologize for that. But, you know, that's just the way it is. And finally, I'd like to note that, you know, I'm not making a lot of these recordings now. I do have a second podcast called The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. It's completely unrelated to medicine. It's Michigan State basketball. It's a really brutal recording schedule. I'm doing four or five shows per week oftentimes because we do a pre and post game. And so my ability to do this paradox, although I love it, enjoy it, it's very limited. And so it's going to be very erratic schedule. And so I hope you subscribe if you're not already. That way you don't miss an episode when it comes out. And, you know, it's going to probably be fairly infrequent. Uh, to that end, I also have had a Patreon support page. I've had wonderful supporters who've supported me financially throughout the years, help advertise and uh, promote, produce the show. And frankly, it doesn't feel right to me to charge people uh, for a month, for each month. So, you know, if if you're one of the patrons, uh, you know, you're certainly welcome to come over and join the Patreon page for my basketball podcast uh, at patreon.com slash M-S-U-T-F-F-I-N-O-T-S. I can't imagine many people here are listening are Michigan State basketball fans. But if you want to support me, I guess that's, I'm you know, be very honored if you were to do something like that. You can certainly go there and support the show that way. But I think I'm just going to shut down the Patreon page for this show uh, because it just doesn't seem right to me that you're paying for supporting a show that is produced so, so infrequently. So I do appreciate everyone who's supported the show in the past and it meant a lot to me, and it still does that you're listening and still subscribing. So, but uh, without further ado, Jennifer Zeng in the China COVID lockdown, what's going on? Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody, I'm here along with my friend Jennifer Zeng. She was on the show back in October 18th of 2019. Can you even remember that before COVID? It's hard to remember those times. <laughs> so, uh, she's the uh, the host of the YouTube channel Inconvenient Truths by Jennifer Zhang. And she is a uh, <clears throat> offers authentic, fast, uncensored firsthand information from inside China. And last time we talked about Hong Kong at the time, there were a lot of protests. And and we talked a little bit about the Falun Gong and about the organ harvesting that was going on in China. And so tonight, I wanted to discuss really what's going on in China as far as the lockdowns and COVID. You know, when the, when the COVID began in 2020, obviously, it was first identified, I guess, in Wuhan and China. And with all the extraordinary measures that were going on with the Chinese government, the, the CCP or the Chinese Communist Party uh, in Wuhan and elsewhere, where they were going to extraordinary measures to try and control this virus and its spread. And a lot of those measures were adopted, at least in part, by lots of the world, including the Western world, which is surprising with the lockdowns. Um, and they've continued that same policy, a zero COVID policy to try and stamp it out. And I think we've gone through the show plenty of times and to at least explain the fact that there's no stopping COVID. And so that sort of strategy is foolhardy and um, it's one that will be ineffective. But uh, I want to bring uh, Ms. Zeng on because I really just want to get a better feeling for what's going on inside China because I don't speak um, Mandarin. I don't, when I, there are things posted, I have no idea what it really means or what it says or what's going on. And so I want a better idea of what's going on because I know you have contacts with there. So thanks so much for joining the show. And can you just give us a little recap of what's happening right now in China? 
right now in China, I think especially in the past weekend, uh, which draw uh, which draws a lot of attention from the entire world, is a so-called China protest or China uprising or Black Paper or A4 revolution. Uh, which you know, people throughout China. I think a third, a one third, of the provinces, or that's more than fifty cities and uh, one hundred universities participated in a nationwide protests against the the CCP's COVID lockdown. And what's I think make this protest very unusual is initially they were only a protest against the lockdown, but soon the crowds started shouting CCP step down, Xi Jinping step down, freedom. We want freedom. We don't want lockdown and uh, uh, freedom of expression, rule of law, democracy. We want votes, no, not leaders. So soon there are their slogans or what their pursuit is targeting the CCP and its a political system as well. So that's quite unusual and unprecedented. Of course, in terms of the scale of the protest, it's also uh, unprecedented since the Tiananmen massacre in 1989. So that's why this round of, you can say, it's protest or movement has drawn so much attention in the entire world. Yeah. And I think, you know, as an American, I was in high school in 1989 when Tiananmen Square happened. And we and I recall that. And I think, you know, for most Americans, uh, well, I'll just say that maybe that's not fair, but China was not really one that people were paying much attention to at that time. The Soviet Union, the Soviet Union was the main communist country people were worried about and was a rival. And China was really much, very much an afterthought at that point. I think it was not from an economic standpoint, it was not as powerful as, as it is today. And so I think, we didn't really appreciate, I think, what was going on there. And really since then, outside of what's happened in Hong Kong from time to time, it seems like domestically in China, there's not been, you know, there's been an acceptance of the CCP or at least, you know, there's not been any outward protests. Um, and so this is, I guess I just, I have a, I have a tough time figuring out the scale of this. I mean, this is something that is going to get bigger. Is this, is this a really a large movement? Uh, do you have a feel for that at this point? It's hard to say, I but I my overall uh, you say observation or conclusion is because of the CCP's extremely severe uh, you can say COVID lockdown in the past three years they virtually uh, at some stage lock everybody up in their own homes and there were so many uh, tragedies like. I think what sparked this round of protests was a tragedy happened in Xinjiang, Urumqi. That's, that's the capital city of, of Xinjiang because people were locked down. They, they really weared your door, locked your door from outside. You can't escape. So when there was a fire in a high-rise building, people can't escape. And because they've put out so many barriers on, on the road. So the driveway is blocked, not only by those all those barriers, but and also by some of cars which 
battery were already dead because people were locked had been in lockdown in the home for three months. So their batteries in the car already died. So they couldn't drive the cars away to move uh, to give way to the tr fire truck. So that slows down the fire, you know, uh, fighting efforts. I think it's it's drags on for hours until uh, they could put off the fire and uh, at least 44 people were killed. And especially when, when before people were killed, they, they virtually saw the fire going on, but they couldn't escape. So they were screaming on the internet, some kind of online chat group. So people recorded the women's last display desperate scream. Actually, I did a program yesterday and shared that terrible, terrible scream before she was burned to death. And there was a children, uh, there was a child of only three years old. So this kind of tragedy really, I think, caused a lot of sympathy and people started to, to think of, well, wow, today it's it's them in Urumuchi, but tomorrow it could be me. So virtually, I think people really felt enough is enough because of the CCP's iron iron fist crackdown in all these years. People, Chinese people, mostly are I think are very fearful and they dare not to stand up against the CCP or speak out what, what, has, what was in their mind. But now after three years of lockdown, many of them had either lost their jobs or lost their livelihood, or some of them all, all already lost their loved ones because of the inhuman uh, lockdown. They now realize what the most dreadful thing is the lose of freedom. If you don't have freedom, you, you don't have anything. So now I think that's why people are no longer that fearful than before. And that's why this time so many people, especially young people, university students, uh, stood up and started a protest against the CCP. Everybody, I think, really have had enough of it. And so the, the questions I have is, you know, you have a, a Chinese government that is obviously authoritarian. It is it controls everything as far as the media and communications. And yet you'd mm -hmm. think if there was some place that there's some instance where the government would want this to get out, this would be the sort of thing, right? It, you, there are people trapped in a building that we've that the government has welded shut or not allowed people to leave. They're burnt to death. It how do these communications get out and how do they spread in a in a media that at least from a, from us outside in the United States? Our understanding is the Communist Party controls everything. So how can people get those messages out? And then how can it get, you know, not only just in the maybe the neighborhood of relatives, but how does it spread over the entire country where all these universities suddenly find out what's going on? Yes, I think that's just my guess. I don't have evidence. There might be some kind of internal power struggle within the CCP. You know, we all see that at the closing session of the CCP's recent 20th National Congress, the former CCP head, Hu Jintao, was physically, virtually, forcefully removed from the meeting because 
obviously he was trying to say something about the name list. So he was not happy with the, you know, the selection of the leader of the leadership. It it were all Xi Jinping's uh, guys, not anyone from his friction, you know. So there are different frictions in, in within the CCP. And it could be, you know, one friction want to embarrass Xi Jinping. They were not, they were not happy about Xi Jinping get all the power in his own hand. And also, I think another factor could be the public really get enough of it, or maybe they somebody who is responsible for eliminating those videos didn't work that hard because he might also has his uh, job or his wife's job or his children's job affected by the lockdown. So all kinds of factors uh, put together. So those kind of videos were able to uh, at least survive and spread for at least two days. But I think since uh, two days, I think since Monday, uh, the CCP's uh, internet police started working harder again. So we are seeing far less videos uh, since Monday. We saw a lot on Saturday and on Sunday, but suddenly there were so much less on Monday. So it could be, you know, after some kind of internal power struggle, Xi Jinping's faction went again, so the control was reimposed. But my point is, the CCP is losing the hearts of the people mm -hmm. more and more. So if people have their heart put on something, you cannot watch people all the time. There could be, like I said, like I saw something never happened before. Now, some kind of hacker actually hacked into the police system of Shanghai police because they arrested two buses of protesters, I think, on November 26. So some kind of happy hackers hacked into their system and they released the personal information of all the police officers in Shanghai who were involved in the arrest of protesters on the internet. So that kind of thing, you can hardly prevent it from happening if there are people really I want to do it. I want to help one way or the other. They may not go to the street to go onto the street to protest, but they can do something very, very damning to the CCP at their homes. So I think so they it could have already reached a turning point where because the CCP has lost the people's hearts and lost its legitimacy to govern. People are no longer happy with what the CCP is doing. So maybe there, are, there won't be large scale protest uh, like, like what happened in Tiananmen Square in 1989, but there could be many other forms of different protests which could also lead to the collapse of the CCP one way or the other, maybe in, in the near future, maybe several years ago, but it is very clear to me, the CCP is on the downhill, it is going down fastly or, or 
or slowly, but as everybody said, Xi Jinping got a um, nickname, Access Accelerator. So he is accelerating the speed of the CCP's demise. Everybody agrees with that. So the history of people rising up against authoritarian governments is not a pretty one. I mean, usually they're brutally uh, dealt with. Rarely is it successful. I mean, it is at times, but it seems like in order to be successful to take down an authoritarian regime, you basically need the military at some point, or at least a portion of the military, to to align with the rebels or whatever you want to call them, the people who are opposed to the, the government. And that's what, yeah. for instance, that's what happened to the Soviet Union, right? When you saw that the, the military came, they rolled their tanks up to parliament, and then they decided that we're with the people who are opposed to the the uh, Communist Party, and we're done. And so they supported Boris Yeltsin, and that was the end of that was the end of the Soviet Union, basically, right then. How how do you? I, I guess you know what is we saw what happened in Hong Kong, and there was protests for quite a while. And I think you could look yeah. back and say, well, it didn't work. I mean, it was they were they were oppressed, and and now it's Hong Kong mm-hmm. is as much China as probably most places. I think. I mean, is it mm-hmm. so? Is, do you, how do you, I guess, how do you gauge where sort of we are on this timeline? Because I think your, your feeling, it seems to be, is one that at some point it, the CCP will collapse. It's sort of inevitable that they're, that their mm-hmm. tactics, that they're, what they are and support yeah. is not going to be supported. But, you know, yeah. are we looking at a, a, do you think a short-term window, like a few years, or are you looking at decades or, I mean, what do you, what's your feel for right now from people you've talked to in China and what's going on? Um, I think uh, I'm op- optim- optimistic it is a short window, it's years, it's not decades. Let's talk about the army. Yes, you are right. The army is very important. Whenever, like, well, that's why the CCP always stress the gun should listen to the party or, the, you know, the party, right. the army should listen to the party. And the most important thing to, for the dictators dictators is to take control of the army of the guns. And uh, the CCP knows that very well. But the, the story is with Hong Kong, I think because of the uh, CCP's brainwashing and uh, be- Hong Kong, relatively speaking, is a small place and it has a very small population compared to what the, you know, the Chinese population, it's 3 million versus 1.4 billion, right? Yeah, right. And uh, yes, when the when the Hong Kong protests were going on, uh, the the CCP was telling the Chinese people, oh, those people want to uh, break away from China. They want independence. They are traitors. Uh, they are our enemies, and they are uh, in you know uh, incited by foreign hostile you know forces, America, UK to turn. Uh, turn on against us Chinese. And then, so for a whole army of the PRA to brainwash the army to deal with the Hong Kong, I do think they, they, they transported a lot of men and either armed police or police or army to, to Hong Kong and pretend to be a Hong Kong police to deal with uh, the, the Hong Kong protesters. That's how that, that protest failed. Uh, very unfortunately, but with China, it's a different story. 
China is so big and, and everybody, even for the closed environment army, they still have relatives, families, and friends, classmates, teachers, students who have suffered during the, the crackdown. And so they can, they can, it's much easier for them to be, become sympathy with one another because they, you, you can't call them a separate list or Hong Kong independent uh, elements like what you called to Hong Kong. So at this time, many Chinese people are, are saying we, we owe Hong Kongers an uh, apology. Uh, three years ago, we were watching them. Uh, two years ago, we are condemning them. Now we are following them. So people have awakened to the CCP's atrocity. That is the number one issue. The number two issue is, I think from, you know, today uh, the CCP's former head Jiang Zemin died at the age of 96. And from, I think he was the first CCP leader who had never had the experience of serve, serving in the army or being in a soldier or have fight it together with the army, but he became the, the chairman of this um, Central Military Commission. And, and, and I think from him, before him, it was Deng Xiaoping. So that's why Deng Xiaoping was confident that he could use army to crack down. On, on the on the people uh, in Tiananmen Square, because Deng was in the army, he was one of the founding members of the PL of the PL uh, People's Republic of China (PRC). So he got a lot of supporters, and he kind of have that kind of prestigious people uh, in the army recognize him as their general and as, as who had, you know, fight and uh, uh, bled together with them. So he has kind of that kind of prestige to control the army and army listens to him. And even so, actually has spent at least half a month to offer closed training to those soldiers who were going to be shifted to Beijing to carry on, carry out the task because uh, you have to convince those soldiers the people in the Beijing were killing, were route, were killing soldiers. That's why you have to go there. Otherwise, it's very hard for you to have the soldiers to kill on its own people because they were educated. We are the people's you know, their name is People's Liberation Army. So they should serve the people, they should defend the people. So it's hard for you to convince him you need to kill the people. So they, they were given a closed environment to be brainwashed before they were sent to Beijing to carry out the task. And uh, also it maybe only need 10,000 soldiers to carry the task. Deng Xiaoping virtually I think deployed 300,000 soldiers. Why? Because he didn't know which branch of the army may choose to side with the people. So he has to have different armies watch over each other so that that kind of thing will not happen. That's why he needs so many army. 
So since Jiang Zemin's time and Hu Jintao and Xi Jinping, they didn't have one day in the army. So that's why the Jiang Zemin used corruption to bribe the generals for them to listen to him. So from Jiang Zemin's time, the generals in the army were very corrupted. They gained the position through bribe, bribe, bribery. So the army is very corrupted. And so at this stage, I think it is not that easy for Xi Jinping to make the determination to use the army because he can never guarantee. You know, Chinese, China's, Chinese soldiers uh, at the New York time, they don't have the guns, or if they have guns, they don't have the bullets. They have, they need to go through different, you know, very complicated procedures to have the real gun and the bullet together with them. It's because the CCP are, is always afraid if the army, the soldiers have guns, have bullets, you don't know who they were shoot at in the end. So it's a big deal for them to have that kind of confidence and uh, to, to really to, to move the army because uh, I think that could happen especially uh, in, inside China. That's why I think after this latest uh, protest came, uh, broke out, some of the uh, democratic activists who have have involved in the Tiananmen massacre, uh, Tiananmen movement in 1989, they co-authored a letter to all the army soldiers and called for them to not to fire at the at the people, if the CCP asked them, and to not to uh, make uh, such a, a, a crime, so there could there is possibility that you know yes the army could side or at least they could refuse to crack down on people. So it is very risky, I think, for Xi Jinping to try to really use the army to crack down. So I think the best strategy for the CCP right now maybe to, is to ease up the control a little bit and let the people's issues as them die out. And then little by little, when people no longer gather, then when the, when the movement is, uh, you know, get quieter, then they started to arrest whoever they think is a leader. And then they deal with the leaders and next time people may, might become more fearful. That's their, I think their best uh, strategy. And it seems to me they are trying to ease up the lockdown a little bit, at least in today's, at today's press conference in uh, Guangzhou city, they they really announced that they they have they were lift down lift the uh, the lockdown and the several of office officials at the press conference took off their mask. It's a very symbolic move, and I just tweeted about an audio file, a leaked audio file of uh, I think it. He could be a teacher or a principal of Shifang High School in Sichuan province. Now basically, he said they got uh, instruction from the higher leaders to do a, a, like you can say, experiment 
in this in this uh, school and to other colleges to see how fast herd immunity could be achieved in a closed managed system in that school. So virtually everybody in the school were be exposed to COVID and they, they are trying to connect, gather data and then to analyze how quickly herd immunity can be achieved so that they can reopen like the rest of the world. I think, so this is what happened today. So, so, so for, from what I'm saying, on the one hand, the CCP is still, you, you know, they are checking people's cell phones to see who have, uh, who have participated in the movements. They are, you know, arresting people. But on the other hand, I think they want to secretly, maybe quietly, uh, relax a little bit to see or uh, to not to um, make them more, I think, in a more difficult pos position. And then they will think of some, something else to deal with the protests. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there. So it, in, I guess in your opinion, it looks like when it, they're, they're easing up the lockdowns or they're considering it because, you know, freedom is kind of a funny thing. It, freedom to someone is it's different to someone else. And so some people say, well, as long as I can go where I want and kind of take whatever job I want, you know, the tax rate or whether I can say certain things, I'm not as concerned about that. Other people obviously feel differently. And so what is freedom is, you know, I think it's subjective. It's certainly between cultures too, right? I mean, I think, you know, even you look in Western cultures, like us, United States and England, it's different conception of what free speech really is and what it encompasses, you know, what you can say and can't say. Uh, you know, I, I suppose the CCP is in a bit of a pickle because they have, on the one hand, they they want, they can ease these restrictions, which is the main, they're definitely an outlier in the world. I mean, there's no question. You, and certainly you watch the World Cup. You have people from all over the world are there. Yeah. Maskless. Yeah. They're all, you know, they're not drinking beer, but they're otherwise, you know, that's a freedom they don't have there. But, you know, for the most part, they're able to gather. And I imagine if that, if people in China are seeing that as saying, well, you know, why is that not here? Uh, but then yeah. by, by release, by relieving these restrictions, uh, you know, you've sort of caved as I suppose in some ways to the protesters. And so then the, I'm sure the fear is what are they going to ask for next? Or right now might be, you know, the ability to take their masks off. Uh, I guess the, I guess the one question I have is why, why are they pursuing such a kind of a ridiculous COVID strategy? Because it's pretty clear by now. I mean, if, I mean, that it, it's, you know, that it can't work. I mean, even the, so I, I just say I refuse to admit that they're wrong or that I, I guess I just don't, I don't understand how, why they're doing, why they're still pursuing such an aggressive policy. Do you have a good feel for why yeah. they aren't just saying, okay, we'll just let it go? Yes. I think everything, if you want to understand the CCP, you must understand its fundamental fear. It's, it's, that is its own legitimacy. Because it's not like in the US or in the UK, people are elected, you know, by the people. They got the votes, they got the support of at least half of the country, right? right? Yeah. But in China, you know, it's always the one party in power. There was never election, there was no people's agree, you know, agreement for them to rule. So they so, so in this sense, to maintain their power, they must maintain a message that 
the CCP, like this, a slogan says, it is always correct, it is always glorious, it's always magnificent. So I think in the beginning stage, Xi Jinping somehow, because his people always joke, he's a primary student only. He only graduated from primary school and, and then he was sent to the countryside, you know, during Cultural Revolution. He didn't have much knowledge or know much that much about science. So he somehow believed because the most of the best thing the CCP know the best is how to control people. So uh, they, they imposed on the most severe control. And like you said, a lot of other world learned from China and they celebrated it. And then they somehow, I think, established this model as the China model or Xi Jinping's political legacy. And because this, this has already become his political legacy and also part of the, the legitimacy or the excuse for him to stay in power. So that cannot be questioned or challenges. And even if they know it's kind of harder or harder to hold to hold on to it, but somehow they they just can't afford to lose their face and to have people study to realize, oh, the party isn't that correct and all the time after all. So why should we listen to it? So next time when it's ordered something, the people may start to disobey and that is the worst light nightmare for the CCP. That's why it's it's acted so uh, absurdly and ridiculously. And as you can see this so stupid policy, why they should they want to still adopt it. This is the number one reason, the number two reason, I doubt. And actually the CCP already announced it. They are hoping or they are planning to set up a universal health code system for everyone. Everyone will have a health code by 19, uh, by 2022. So all your data, all your health data, all your whatever data will be, I think, incorporated with this health code. So with that health code, it can, uh, impose control on everybody. So Xi Jinping has a very, I think, a rosy dream of take back Taiwan, launch a war against Taiwan. And if that happens, he will be established himself as the greatest leader of to, to be able to, you know, unify China, which all his previous leaders felt to if he could do it, how wonderful that is. So if he plans to launch a war, he needs to have the people get used to live in a very restricted con condition. So that's why I think the COVID gave him a very good condition or excuse to try this out so that to get people used to live in in poverty or in, in very restricted and also suffer materially. So I think that's another reason why he is so stubborn in hold on to this, you know, inhuman zero, zero COVID policy. That's interesting. And 
So when it comes to Taiwan, and this is something that you know I don't pay much attention to, I probably most Americans as well. The concern, of course, with with the CCP is you know how much control they have over the military, right? Do you think they trust the military enough to stage an action against Taiwan, or do you think that, or do you think that'd be a concern of theirs as well at this point? Because although it's a different country, it's you know the Chinese government obviously considers it part of their country, and so you're sort of mm-hmm. you're shooting, you know, killing your countrymen if you're invading Taiwan in many ways, right? Because that's the propaganda, right? Mm-hmm. That they are the same. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, do you think that's a, I mean, this probably, this, these protests, I imagine in some uh, ways, it probably makes it more difficult for them to, to make that decision. Yes, I think that that is one of the concerns. So actually, for me, my biggest concern for Taiwan is not a direct military attack. It's the infiltration. I think the, the best chance for China, uh, for the CCP to really take over Taiwan, I don't think it's a direct military attack, but it can work from within Taiwan. And then to maybe someone like, I think there was one time that uh, a, a candidate called Han Guoyu almost win the um presidential election, if it were not for the Hong Kong protests uh, that had wakened Taiwanese up, he could have really won that election. If he really wins that election, I think the CCP already had Taiwan in its hand because that man was, you can say, uh, supported uh, for the most part by the CCP. So. The CCP had been has been working very hard from within Taiwan to buy over like many media in Taiwan is influenced or bought over by Taiwan. And they have their, like uh, very recently, uh, there was a case like uh, a military, I think official in the army or actually CCP's spies. So they had spies, they had their own people uh, infiltrated in Taiwan and they have kind like kind, it was revealed by the people inside the CCP that on the, on the one hand they could, uh, they could launch an attack, but inside Taiwan, there were, uh, they were launch uh, assassination campaign. They have an assassination list of 55 people. So what they were, if uh, uh, if they once they started the effort to take over Taiwan, they will kill all the people who were stand up against the CCP at the same time, or the major ones. And then there are a, a group of other people who are also in, I think, in a very important position in Taiwan. They will stand up and say, oh, we are one country, we are one nation, we are one people. Anyway, why, why should we fight? Let's just peacefully reunited with, with, the, with the China, our motherland, and they will allow us to continue to have our you know, freedom. If that happens, I think it is very hard for the US or Japan or Australia to intervene militarily right. because people inside Taiwan say, okay, it's, it's our own choice to be reunited with China. So I think that is the most dangerous uh, 
prospects for Taiwan. It's not a direct military attack. They may uh, try to you know, launch attack. That, that is only just to terrify people in Taiwan. I get their representatives in Taiwan uh, excuse to say, oh, let's surrender. So that's their, I think, their best plan. Do you think though Hong Kong serves as an example and a as a, I mean, it's a pretty stark contrast to what it, they were guaranteed freedoms for what fifty years or something like that, hundred years, and yeah, it lasted years, what twenty, yeah. not even. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, do yeah, you th- not even. do you think that that is would be a reminder to Taiwanese right at this point that that would be an empty promise and that's something not even worth considering? Yes, I think many, many Taiwan people really uh, did gain that big lesson from what happened in Hong Kong. Initially, I think the so-called one country, two system wasn't designed for Hong Kong. They was designed for Taiwan, but they want to do a test run in Hong Kong. Maybe if Hong Kong, you know, they did the test run successfully in Hong Kong, they will use the same model to take back Taiwan. That's the CCP's initial plan. But of course, they didn't realize after people have lived, you know, under, you know, a free system, or at least Hong Kong people have rule of law, they have free of speech, they have free freedom of, you know, expression. So they didn't realize that kind of people is very hard to buy over with money or to be corrupted or to make them to to believe that the CCP system is better. And uh, so they, I think they didn't expect that Hong Kong people will fight back, uh, fight so hard against uh, a, a, a little, you know, what initiated the protest is just an extradition law. Uh, they want to, you know, to be able to get people in Hong Kong to go to China and to get their trial there. And then Hong Kong people know you can't ensure justice in if once you are sent to China. So they all stand up and fight. They, I, I think, interrupted the CCP's plan. So they were, I think, but that also reveals the CCP's nature. That they, apart from you know, crackdown on people, they don't know negotiations. They don't know compromise. Even if they compromise a little bit on the surface, it's just a tactic. But at the end of the day, what they are best at is still to just to uh, impose iron fist crackdown on people and control on people. And then. You know, when I look at the the situation right now, I guess you, you don't have a good feel for if it's if the protests are as big as they were or if they're still going on because of the the control of the the word getting out. Is that true? Yes, I think. But you know, anything could happen. I think overruled the society of China because of so many years banned governance of the CCP and because so many people are, have been persecuted one way or the other. And the inequality inside the, the China is so big. So it's like all kinds of problems has accum- accumulated to a point like a high pressure pot. Right. So the the pressure 
is ending up every single other day. So maybe the CCP will try to release a little bit. Uh, so we're back. We got cut off there. I, I'm not, we can't verify, but it could have been the CCP cutting out our power. So we bring everything. They've, they've infiltrated Zoom. Oh, nice. uh, so I wanted to ask one more uh, question. And yeah. it has to be about, it, it's concerning the scale of the, the protest. You know, one of the things you pointed out, I think, which is very interesting, is that fact that Hong Kong was easy to contain. One, it's a very small province. It's a very small area, population-wise. And they were sort of an other, right? They were yeah. not sort of mainland China. And so yeah. they were seen as different people than the people of China. China. And so the, mm -hmm. the CCP could feel comfortable sending people there to control things. Uh, if you have a protest, which are, from the yeah. sounds of it, hundreds of campuses around the, the entire country, obviously it's hard to control, you know, a hundred yeah. places at once. And so then, yes. which makes me th come back to the beginning yes. part of the discussion where maybe the Chinese government feels like, well, they have to utilize the army more because if the, the local police forces aren't enough, you have to use the army. And then that gets to your point what do we trust yeah. the army in order to, you know, kill 18 to 20 year olds or, you know, to, to brutally sort of stop there. Yeah. And and you could do that more easily in Tiananmen because it was in one place yeah. in Beijing right now, if you have it potentially in every province. Yes. Do you, I mean, does that pretty yeah. accurately sort of describe the situation that sort of the conundrum that, that the CCP is in that if this continues and it's a nationwide problem, that it's going to be very hard for them to control. Yes, I think so. Because like this time, that's that's why many, I think, activists are suggesting like Chinese people learn from Hong Kong people, do it like <laughs> be water, like like decentralized and uh, and don't, you know, uh, gather together or or don't get yourself caught by the CCP, but you can create trouble for them so many. You, if the people's heart are awakened, they are outnumbered, the CCP, and even the CCP's armies, police, by, by many, many times. So it's just, I think it still depends on the power, you know, how many Chinese people are really want to stand up and do something. And even if they don't do anything, if they just, like they say, there's a new term like lying flat and doing nothing and don't cooperate and with the CCP, the CCP will, will have a hard time, you know, crackdown. If I just don't refuse to work, what can you do with me? And uh, so some, some people, like some Chinese people refuse to, to marry, refuse to, to have children, refuse to produce more slaves for the CCP. So that in the long run, I think it, was, it will be very hard for the CCP. If they back down, it wins people, people win. People were, were made a demand more. If they don't back down, they could find it's very hard to deal with. I think now people are getting very creative with their protests. Like they hold a piece <laughs> of black paper. This thing never happened before. Now they are writing slogans in the public toilet. And they, you know, that kind of thing you can you can very at one stage, I think after a long hero protest, uh, staged a protest in a Sitong Bridge, in a bridge in Beijing, they somehow have people watch over that 
that bridge 24 hours. But that kind of workload can't be last forever. And people can just stop going if you have people watching over this, this the bridge. But you know, after 10 days, when you are gone, I'm there again. So I think it all depends on how many people really uh, felt they've had enough of CCP. They really want to get the CCP done. And uh, if there are enough amount of people who really want to work against the CCP. It is very hard for CCP to deal with so many awakened people and their very creative actions. I guess, you know, then to close then, you're, you're suspecting within years that there's going to be notice. And it almost sounds like in some ways you wouldn't expect mass protests, except maybe at the very end. At this point, like this is sort of the thing that ignites things and then people just, uh, sort of the uh, conscientious objectors or the they just are, are not going along with the system in other ways. And then at some point, there's yeah. just a breaking a breaking point and everyone just it just sort of changes. It, it probably it nonviolently, right? It, you wouldn't expect a large civil war to sort of play itself out in this sense, yeah. situation. It'd probably be just a everyone just decides it's over. Yeah, but, but it's it's very hard to see because none <laughs> yeah. of us have a crystal ball but just judging from you know what is happening now and the the control of how hard to control you know the army and uh, and i think at the end of the day it all depends on people's heart i think the the best story for the people is more people are awakening and the bad nightmare for the ccp is people are awakening and they are losing their time and their, their legitimacy. And if they no longer have people's support, and especially if people have overcome come to their fear, you know, and then the CCP really can't do nothing. They can be finished in just one day, maybe. They govern on people's fear. If people's fear is no longer there, I don't think they have much ability to control people anymore. Right. And, and that's what you expect to see that you, that's why most of these movements start with young people because they tend to not have as much fear if they, no. <laughs> they don't have a stable type, but they they tend to uh, and be more idealistic and have the energy to sort of do the sort of things. Uh, well, Dr. Zink or Jennifer Zink, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And I really encourage people to find out more about you, to check out your YouTube channel, Inconvenient Truths by Jennifer Zeng. Uh, lots of good stuff on there and um, and you've written books and you're someone who's escaped the this, this system and you were brutally treated by by China and you escaped back in the turn of the century, pretty much, right? About 2001 yes, or so. Yes, 2001, and, I escaped right? the labor camp system in China. I was in yeah, the so, camp for a year. So I wrote a book about what's happening there. Yeah, so you've, you've seen it and lived it. And unfortunately, and thankfully, you're here to tell the story and and I always wonder too, you know, I, I watched like the Soviet Union and it became Russia, obviously now. Um, but still, a lot of that that country has has yet to come to, to grips and and sort of doesn't want to accept that w- what they were. And I wonder, you know, looking at China, there's a lot of things the Chinese government has done in the last what 50, 60 years that are really abhorrent. And the ones that I think, although Chinese citizens might want freedom, they may not want to know what their government was really doing, what they sort of were 
complicit in allowing to happen, even though they weren't, you know, you have some sort of, it's still sort of like your family, right? And so I would think that if you found out that they were doing forced organ harvesting, for instance, which we've talked about, and it's, I think, fairly well documented, those sorts of things are ones that are not ones that people want to look at and look in the mirror and see what they had allowed to happen. But I mean, let's, I guess here's hoping that the Chinese people rise up and they decide that they've had enough of this and that they want some freedom. So I appreciate what you're doing and I hope that you're successful in getting that message out to the, uh, your people back in China. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what The Doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher and share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com.